morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Ortman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. out West. And boy, is it a bad morning at U.S. Soccer House. Particularly, particularly a bad morning for Greg Berhalter. What a joke. The U.S. men's national team had not lost to Canada in 34 years. Went up to uh, Toronto to play Canada in the CONCACAF Nations League and lost 2-0, and it wasn't even close. It was horrible. Embarrassing. Pathetic. I could keep running with words, but they'd all be negative. Except for Canada, who showed up to play, played with an identity, played with a style, played with a passion, played with a purpose. Canada knew how they wanted to play. And by far, looked like the better team. By far, looked like the nation that had a better idea of who they are and what their program is about. What a joke. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Pathetic performance last night from this U.S. men's national team. It is... It is time again. I mean, this is almost two years to the day that the U.S. men's national team lost away to Trinidad and Tobago, failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. This is in October of 2017. And we are two years later and nowhere nearer answers, solutions, ideas, confidence. And anyone that is saying, well, look, Berhalter's not been on the job very long. You got to give him time. That's the Federation's fault. They wasted a year after the debacle in Trinidad by having an interim manager, a caretaker manager for a year because they were already going to hire Greg Berhalter. They just wanted to wait a year to do it. So they wait a year, they waste a year, bring him in, thinking, hey, this is a year removed. We've got somebody in between the failure as a buffer, Dave Sarakin. We've got somebody in between that, that debacle in Trinidad. And then we get to a place where we hire Greg Berhalter Everyone knew it was the worst kept secret in global soccer. Everyone knew that this was a cherry picked hire, that the hiring process was a sham. It was all to give cover to hire Jay Berhalter's brother, the COO of U.S. soccer. They hire him, he gets in charge. 
He claims he's got a he, he claims he's got a style. He claims he's got a way that they, he wants them to play. He claims that he's got all these ideas. Every time we watch this U.S. national team play, this men's national team play, what about their performances are giving you any confidence that we have a sense of purpose and direction, that there's progress being made? This is a clown show. It is a joke. And no offense to our brothers and sisters to the north, but if we look this bad... To Canada. My gosh, we are so far off global standards. We wouldn't know what they were because they're so far out of reach that we can't even get sight of what excellence looks like. Looks like. Unreal. As a federation, the leadership, leadership in name only, where are you today? Where are you demanding excellence? Addressing the fans, saying this is not good enough. Things have to change. They have to get better. Personally, I think that Greg Berhalter has shown he is not up for the job. He's had enough time to at least show that the the program is heading in the right direction. It's not happening. The players don't play for him. His player selections, who he's bringing in, don't make sense. The team on the field has no sense of identity. There is no passion. These are like zombie performances. So I think Greg needs to go, and I think all of those who hired him need to go. Because it's not just about Greg. It's the process and the people involved in the process. In the run-up to the 2018 election, there were a lot of candidates talking about the need to get the right people making the decisions within U.S. soccer. And there was this big pitch made. Well, we'll we'll get the soccer people. We'll get the soccer people. We'll, we'll take care of that. But you know, we got it. We got to keep growing th- this this from a financial standpoint. We need the right financial leaders in charge. We can hire soccer people. Really, really. Prove it. Because it hasn't happened so far. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I just, I cannot get over the fact. 34 years. And you could tell from the first whistle. Kickoff. I mean, from the very beginning of the match. Canada came to play. They had a sense of purpose. They were coming at the U.S. and the U.S. could not get on the ball. They couldn't even get possession. Unreal. 
A few days ago, this story, this interview came out with Des McAleenan. Who is he? Des used to work for the Federation. He was a coach with Tab Ramos. He had some interesting things to say as well. Un- unbelievable um, assertions from from Des when uh, when talking about the hiring of Greg Berhalter. He um, he w- he was with our uh, our squad this summer playing in the U twenty with Tab Ramos with the uh, U-20 squad playing in the uh, U-20 World Cup. And um, and here's what he had to say about the hiring of Greg Berhalter. He said, I owe enormous gratitude to Tab Ramos, and he should have gotten the senior job. He had four successive World Cup qualifications. We went to the quarterfinals of two of them. It was a fit up. The guy who runs U.S. soccer, Jay Burhalter, who is really in charge and who pulls the strings, his brother, Greg, became the coach. They never conducted a search. They just said they did. Now, this is just an allegation. This is an offhand remark. But it's not shocking. Is it so hard to believe I don't think so. If you look at the way the process was handled, is it really that surprising? I don't think so. If we look at the performances of our U.S. men's national team leading up to the failure in Trinidad, the year after Trinidad, and in this last year since Greg Berhalter has been hired, is there anything going on that surprising? No, not really. Why should we be shocked? We shouldn't be. We are getting exactly what we deserve. There is such a level of incompetence on the footballing side of the Federation at the top, and we are paying for it on the field. Accountability is required. Leadership is required. And we are not getting it. Unreal. Such an awful performance last night. And if you don't think that we are in trouble when it comes to the qualifications for 2022, if we don't get this changed between now and qualifications. We're going to be on the outside again, looking in, wishing we were at another World Cup because we are going to miss out. And the only reason that we would have any confidence that we're going to make the World Cup 2026 is because we're hosting. So we get an automatic berth. This is ridiculous. Unreal.
completely unnecessary in a region of CONCACAF to have these kind of troubles. You, you, you just you don't understand how bad it is. We should not even be concerned ever at qualifying out of this region. Ever. I mean, it should be like, you know, ho-hum, boring old U.S. qualifying for another World Cup. No problems. And that all of our challenges are, you know, in the World Cup itself. That's That should be the minimum baseline of where we should be. And we're nowhere near that. Nowhere near that unbelievable our sponsor this half hour is ducktick brand d-u-k-t-i-g brand.com they are the maker of very very helpful resources for coaches for players etc and um, if you haven't checked them out yet check them out at ducktickbrand.com and uh, you'll be you'll be thanking me when you do. Um, use promo code DW Show and you will get ten percent off of your next order. DW Show to get ten percent off of your next order. We'll be right back after this. into the show we are excited to be joined by craig bb he is the president of livonia city fc and marketing director for the npsl craig welcome to the show how are you today doing well thanks for having me on well thanks for joining us um we are are excited to kind of get into something that uh that we saw uh online and that was uh some conversation surrounding 
Michigan and uh, in the state of Michigan when it comes to to soccer and uh, mm-hmm. especially non-league, etc. But before we get into that, uh, give us a little bit of background about you and, uh, you know, how, how did you fall in love with the sport in the first place? And then what kind of led you to, to get involved in, and, uh, and, and do Livonia City FC? Yeah, so... Um I've played the sport my whole life. I grew up actually playing for my youth club called Livonia City Soccer Club. Um, right around when I was going off to college, to, I played club soccer at Central Michigan. Um, my my youth club got bought out by another larger youth club in the area, so. It kind of it was a sad thing for all of us that went off and were, went to play in college because we didn't really have our youth club around anymore. So what we did was um, after the college, after the first two years of college, when we were still in college, it was like a project. Me and all of my friends came together um, over the summer and we joined a summer league, which was the first year of Livonia City FC. I actually played for another team in the league for a year, and I just kind of had the thought of. I could do better than that, like as far as organization um, and what they were doing. So we, we put it together. Um, I still remember the first the first day we had uh, our first tryout when we when we were trying to add a couple more players or whatever. We rented out a uh, facility. We were extremely nervous uh, the day before. We weren't sure if anyone was going to show up. Um, we ended up having 50 plus people come to the first tryout um and we had so many people we actually made in the first year we had an a and a b team and uh ever since then it's just kind of kept growing we've uh we've added two women's teams an a and a b a women's team we've since added we have four men's teams uh and over 30 team we've hired uh coaches for uh the women's team and a coach for the a b team and then uh, the C and the D team are just kind of self-managed. Um, we've played in the U.S. Open Cup now. This is our second year. We actually have a big U.S. Open Cup match coming this weekend. We're playing in the second round against Ann Arbor FC. Um, we've played in the U.S. Amateur Cup now for two years. We've uh, traveled to regionals and won a regional title at Tournament of Champions. We've placed third at Nationals uh, two years ago. We've traveled to seven states. Um, we've, we've kind of, we, it just kept keeps growing and it kind of keeps adding um, a little bit each year. Um, we, we two years ago, I think was the biggest step. We filed Livonia City Football Club as a uh, nonprofit organization. Uh, we elected a board of directors. I'm the president. Um, we have six other pretty qualified guys that kind of helped me with it. I think one of the things, this is a lesson for anyone starting a team, having good help is, is the biggest thing. Um, I know I couldn't do it all alone. Uh, the coaches are extremely helpful that I have with me. The, uh, the other board members give me, give me, um, plenty of, uh, lessons every single day. Um, Somewhere along the line, uh, as we were doing this, I uh, started to get questions on how I how I started Livonia City. So I've had uh, the the 
desire, I guess, to get involved and start st- helping other teams. So I joined the mar- as joined the MPSL board as a marketing director um, like three years back. And since I've helped uh, Lake St. Clair get started over on the east side of Michigan, um, Sporting Detroit, Inner Detroit, and there's just been kind of a, a, a big uh, growth, I guess, in Metro Detroit as far as teams are going. And uh, myself and uh, Mehmed with Lake St. Clair have kind of had a big part in that. So we've just kind of seen how um, we've just kind of seen how it's becoming really popular. Um, We're we're spoiled. We have uh, a Detroit city uh, 20 minutes from us. We see what it can look like when it's done right. And I think that's uh, what keeps us all uh, hungry and keeps us all trying to grow our club is we, we see it right in our own backyard when it is successful. It can be really great. So, so tell me um, the uh, you talked about the structure of the club. What led you to form as a nonprofit with a, with a board of directors? Was it to be a supporters uh, owned or membership driven club? Like what, what kind of went into the thought process behind that decision? Well, I, I was thinking um, sustainability um, with that. I was thinking, well, what if I, uh, what if I ever moved away or I ever, um, wasn't around anymore and I, I still wanted the club to be around. So it's elected, um, every single, every, every terms are two years. So every two years there's a reelection for each position. Um, I was kind of thinking if, if Craig isn't around or Fred, my vice president or Jake, the treasurer, if someone isn't around, it's just kind of a plug and go type of thing. And the next, the next group of people can, uh, can uh, help out with it. Um, helps a little bit with sponsors. It's tax deductible for them as well. Um, they're allowed to write it off. We've been blessed to have a couple sponsors come on and help us. Um, but it, it kind of just sustainability, I think, was the biggest thing. Um, it doesn't always have to be Craig. Uh, Craig is the dictator and gets to make all the decisions. I always joke um, as soon as uh, as soon as we elected the board of directors, we had uh, we had a couple badges when we were doing our rebrand kind of taking it a bit more serious and uh, i actually voted for a different livonia city fc logo and i got outvoted like five to two and uh if it, i would say if, if i was still the uh the only one making all the calls we would have a completely different logo and i don't even know what the club would look like so i think it's good to make sure i I'm not always right. And I think it's good that you kind of get fact checked sometimes by six other smart guys and they can kind of, if I'm, I'm doing something wrong and they're seeing it and I'm not seeing it, I think uh, it kind of helps out. We get a, we get a bunch of brains together in the room and we, we come up with the best decision for the club. Now you guys play in the MPSL. Is that correct? That is correct. So can, um, so can you give us a little bit of overview of the league, you know, footprint geographically, you know, absolutely. sanctioning, what level is it, uh, et cetera? Okay. Yeah. So the, the MPSL, the Michigan Premier Soccer League, because sometimes uh, you'll hear it and some, someone thinks you're saying the NPSL. We always have to note the MPSL. Um, it started back in, 
the early 90s, um, about when I was born. Um, the the heyday of it, I think, was the the early 2000s. There was a uh, a Detroit Arsenal team that uh, won the national championship, and there's been some former MLS players that have played in the league. It's quite competitive. Um, you're probably aware of this. Uh, recently, they kind of restructured how USASA sanctions leagues. Um, there's the, you can be a national sanctioned lead. You can be a, uh, multi-state, uh, league, or you could be like a, a single state league. Um, prior to that, they had it, um, to my knowledge, it was just a two tier. They had, um, USASA leagues and then they had USASA, uh, elite leagues. And it was actually, um, on the website distinguished as there's 13, there was 13, uh, across the country that were called USA SA elite leagues. Um, the cosmopolitan league over in New York, um, was one that everyone was pretty popular with, but the MPSL was actually one of those 13 leagues. That was a USA SA elite league. Um, so what it is now is a league of it's a men's and women's league. We have, um, we have, nine women's teams um that play like one straight table we have i think last year and it, it's constantly up and down obviously um over 30 teams um in three different tiers um promotion and relegation is applied to some extent um one of uh one of the things that did frustrate us a bunch of bet uh, a bit was making that break into the the upper group of our league it was kind of uh well they've been up there for a while so they're going to be up there kind of thing and uh when we did make that breakthrough and now even though we are part of the 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 haves and not the have-nots in the league i still think that there's some of like the old uh, traditional teams that just kind of sit in there um and just kind of take up space when we have a lot of these new clubs coming up that want to um want to make a name for themselves they're, they're ambitious with it going out and recruiting they don't just have the same players they hold a trout every year and it's kind of so far it, it myself and Mehmed both being on the board for the mpsl we've had some i don't want to say issues but we've had hey let's try it like this let's do something differently um they they're fascinated by the fact that we were able to both make two clubs and be competitive almost overnight when um, when they've had clubs, uh, the White Eagles uh, in Carpathia that have been around since the 50s and the 60s. So the, there's some traditional clubs in it and they're fascinated by the fact of, well, how did you make a team so fast? Um most of them don't understand uh, social media and what it can do for your uh, for your team or your organization. So I I started running along with doing the marketing director. I started running the MPSL social media, the the uh, Twitter, Facebook, and all that. And it kind of it's helped I think with uh, growth of the growth of the league over the last couple of years. But it's a USA SA Elite League, and it has about thirty men's teams, um, mostly from Metro Detroit. We almost uh, this past year almost started accepting teams a little bit outside of Metro Detroit. We actually had a couple uh, Ohio teams um, that were unhappy with uh, Northern Ohio, barely 
literally. They always joke about Toledo still being a part of place uh, or a part of Michigan because it used to be. But it was a couple of Toledo teams were a little bit unhappy with what was happening down with Ohio. So we almost started to like grow the footprint um, a little bit. But it's it's pretty much Metro Detroit. A couple of the more ambitious teams um, will travel. We had I think four or five teams join the Amateur Cup from the MPSL last year. Um, Austin and Wayne County Sporting, one of the other new teams, uh, are playing in the U.S. Open Cup this year. Um, yeah, so we're we're, we're constantly kind of looking at how we can grow it currently. But this kind of project that now me and Mehmet have started is, I think, the next the next step in the phase of of Michigan soccer. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, I noticed that there was a letter, kind of a petition going around. Um, I'm familiar with those. And, uh, and, and definitely. Well, where do you think we got the idea? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I was, I was just curious as to kind of, you know, what, what is the thinking behind this? And ultimately, what is the end goal? What are, what are you trying to achieve through this campaign in terms of either making Michigan soccer better, uh, growing Michigan soccer? I, you know, talk a little bit about what inspired the campaign and then, you know, what you ultimately hope to achieve uh, with the campaign. I, I think the, the first thing you said right there is extremely important to uh, the question you asked. What is the end goal? That's, I think, what we kind of all have to be thinking about. What are we trying to achieve here? So for me, it doesn't make sense necessarily, for example, like the UPSL. One gentleman is an owner of a league, and it's just a bunch of teams paying for a product um, of joining into his league and takes a little bit for himself the rest of the money gets put back into it. Um, that doesn't make much sense to me because what what would that ever achieve if that just continued to go on? So for me, what we were trying to achieve is kind of lay, lay a foundation for Michigan. Just like when you build a house without a strong foundation, it's going to fail every single time. So you, you witnessed a couple of years back, um, the national leagues were, were the choice for many. Uh, the UPSL came around. Uh, became really popular. Feels like overnight, it just kind of blew up over 300 teams now, I believe. I don't know if they broke 400, but at least over 300 teams. Um, The NPSL was very strong. We saw it here in Michigan. The NPSL Michigan division was arguably one of the strongest uh, in the country. We had Detroit City. We had Grand Rapids FC getting strong attendance. They put a good product on the field. We had AFC and Arbor strong, putting a good product on the field. We had uh, Kalamazoo FC. All, all, it was extremely strong, very impressive in our area. Um, the PDL, we know extremely well. And for those that follow the U.S. Open Cup and the runs that the, the Michigan Bucks, now called the Flint City Bucks, have made, uh recently they won a national championship they've obviously knocked off mls teams in the u.s open cup which is like the the pipe dream for many of the the teams for uh for entering the u.s open cup so there was a lot of success uh the usl2 came to be rebranding from the pdl there was a lot of popularity with the national leagues and i think what you've seen at least in like the last two to three years is the regional leagues have now become more popular. Again, you got the Gulf coast Premier league. 
Um, they were attempting, obviously, the Great Plains Premier League. Um, I was on the phone with the uh, commissioner of the, the Midwest Premier League, Cliff Conrad, uh, yesterday. Actually, we were talking. Um, so the regional leagues are now starting to become even more popular. I think the thought with that is kind of building a framework of um, this is amateur soccer. Um, the United States has a unique challenge of being so spread out that maybe a national league doesn't exactly make sense um, at this level until we are able to uh, kind of make sure it's sustainable. So I think we're just taking the extra step of building the groundwork uh, from an even smaller footprint. We're trying to organize Michigan first. And once we have Michigan sorted, sure, let's go talk to the Midwest Premier League. Let's let's talk to a, a national league about working with them. That's fine. But it's never going to work unless we are able to lay a groundwork and have a strong foundation with a with a, a league that always has a feeder up to those regional or up to those national leagues. I, th I think sustainability is something that you have to look at. Uh, the lifespan, as you're probably aware of many of these clubs, is four to five years. We're very much aware of that. We'll be entering our fifth year next year. And um, we are, we're pretty pleased with the fact that uh, we can say this past year um, we, we turned a profit with Livonia City FC, which is something a lot of clubs uh, can't say. So it was, it's kind of nice to see... Um, there's some other like-minded clubs in Michigan that are kind of thinking along the same lines as us as far as far as being stable and um, stability. Um, the UPSL did successfully in the Midwest uh, take uh, one team from the MPSL. Uh, the Rebels uh, were an MPSL team, and uh, he is going to be the new commissioner of uh, the Midwest, uh, or at least the Michigan Conference. I'm not exactly sure the details of it. Uh, they announced it a couple of days ago. So the, the regional and national leagues are definitely coming to town and they're definitely recruiting and trying to replace that next group. And I think I kind of what uh, if you read the rant after the uh, after the post yesterday, I think it's the same cycle. Um, these teams all join a regional or national league. They um, do it for a couple of years. It's not sustainable. And then we'll be talking about the same thing in four or five years that it wasn't sustainable. And, uh, and it's kind of going to go as far as uh, the people running it are willing to lose the money. So, or we've seen, I guess, I don't know if you saw it as well, uh, Lansing Ignite, uh, just had their baseball owner pull out and didn't want to didn't want to lose money anymore so if it, and when you're dealing with uh not soccer guys they're just kind of when when they lose interest in it you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose a club overnight so i guess that's kind of the, the thought process with it is we're trying to lay a foundation before we we even think about uh the far travel and you're and you're talking to someone that has been to with our club we've been to seven different states and traveled so we know more so than a lot of the, the other MPSL teams of what that actually entails. But we, we know that it's not sustainable necessarily um, to be able to do that. So in terms of the league, what, what, are we, what are we looking at right now? The current geographic footprint of the MPSL, what are travel times for the clubs that are participating in the league? Mm -hmm. So... 
most of the teams are in Metro Detroit. And for, for someone that is unfamiliar with that, what exactly that means and where that is, I would say Metro Detroit from one end to one end is probably about Looks like we may have uh, lost the connection. We'll see if uh, we can get uh, the guys on this to uh, to get Craig back on the air in just a moment. One of the key points uh, of this whole um, situation is sustainability, and um, it, it is it is not part of the conversation enough, in my opinion, when it comes to the decisions that are made, uh, who plays where, who is allowed into what league. Um, and, and so I think, you know, that, you know, having, um, you know, having the, um, clubs participate in the league that they can travel with. And we're going to see if we can get Craig back on the air. Craig, are you there? Yes. Uh, did the call drop? Yeah, we dropped you for a minute. So we were we were we were it, talking about sustainability and uh, and travel time for the clubs in your league, and uh, and you were just about to get to the answer, and then we lost you. So uh, what what are the you know average travel times for clubs participating in the NPSL? Mm-hmm. So so Metro Detroit is about from one end to one end about an hour and a half. So if you were, you're on the far east side of, of, of Metro Detroit, and you're traveling all over to the west of uh, Metro Detroit, you're probably going to take about an hour and a half. Um, so an hour and a half and less. Um, now, last year, um, the, the MPSL teams, uh, luckily, were, uh, we were able to partake in um, the Michigan Milk Cup, which was kind of a cool competition i would encourage a lot of uh a lot of other um states and uh, cities to try this out um michigan milk cup put p uh usl two teams i had the bucks in it it had uh upsl teams it had oakland county and uh, carpathia and others in it um it had uh state level teams like uh, livonia city lake st Clair in it um, and it had NPSL teams in it, like Grand Rapids FC and uh, Lansing in the past. Um, so it kind of put all of these teams together. When we do those competitions, um, you could go to the west side of Michigan, which is about two, yeah, probably about two, two and a half hours over to the west side if you're going to Grand Rapids or Kalamazoo. So I would say in state, uh, in league travel, you're probably looking worst case scenario, hour and a half. I think most of our games, because uh, Livonia is a little more centrally located, probably about 45 minutes for our, our furthest game. Um, but it, it that that's the footprint. Um, in addition to the MPSL being here, there's another league that uh, is called the MUSL, the Michigan United Soccer League. Um, they are more of a primary, um, primarily like an over 30, over 40, over 55 league. They, they have, uh, I want to say, four or five or six different divisions of like over 30 soccer, um, extremely deep in over 30. They, uh, they probably, I don't know, maybe 40 to 50 over 30 teams. 
they do have an open division. Our C and our D team, our, our fourth, third and fourth teams, they actually play in the MUSL right now. And uh, they, they compete in the open division. And their open division only has about 10, 12 teams. So it's a little bit smaller. Um, I think kind of how this idea came to be, uh, the Michigan Soccer League that we're trying to do is we are trying to get all of the teams in Michigan, whether they're over 30, whether they're open, um, whether they um, are ambitious and want to travel like Livonia City, or if they just want to stay um, local, like some of the older traditional clubs, can we get all of these teams in the same league and can we get them all working together and can we get them all um, kind of pooling their resources together? Um, they're, they're sanctioned all by MSA, which is Michigan Soccer Association, the Michigan Adult Soccer Association, um, as we refer to it. Um, and there are four or five different Michigan leagues, two of which are in Metro Detroit. There's one that's a little bit more on the west side of Michigan, uh, the Michigan Elite Soccer League that we also want to come in. Um, the bottom, uh, the bottom corner um, on the west side too of Michigan has a has a league called the Blossom Land Area League. Um, I've made contact with them uh, within the last two years. Uh, we're going to be reaching out to them probably later this week about like if there's any way we can work together. Um, the uh, the Lansing group uh lansing ignite um has kind of uh there's been some frustrated fans with them and uh, uh the baseball owner again announced that they were they were gonna pull out um or i guess he hasn't announced it i guess a player for lansing announced it and they are waiting to announce it officially next week um, but, uh, some of the fans are coming together, hopefully up in Lansing there and possibly going to do a, a supporter own club. They've already made contact with us in the last 24 hours. Um, so it, it, it's just kind of the idea of, can we pool all of our resources together and figure out a way so that we have a nice sustainable league? Um, you look at someone like maybe the cosmopolitan league over in New York, um, it's the same kind of concept. They have uh, their open teams, which are um, nationally respected, um, with the uh, with plenty of teams over there. And then um, when you're when you're too old to do that, they have their over thirty and their over forty teams that travel and play well. Um, you look over in Maryland, you have uh, the Christos team that has their open team, and then they have on top of that their over thirty and their over forty teams that are almost dominant i think uh you, you look at their over 30 or 40 record they had like 110 five and five or something over like a 10-year history so i think it's a way for people to stay involved in the sport and still uh play competitively when they do that um so i guess that's kind of the thought process behind it um i don't know if you saw in the rat rant um the uh the the bit about uh msa money did you, did you see anything about that uh, i saw a little bit about that can you explain a little bit more of that yeah so msa the michigan soccer association every time in uh international uh champions uh cup match those icc matches as they refer to are played on michigan soil um, the Michigan Adult Soccer Association actually gets a, 
uh, a chunk of the proceeds just for being the sanctioner of the match. So over the last couple of years, uh, the big house in Ann Arbor has hosted several of the matches. Um, they had one this past year. It was Napoli in Barcelona. Uh, me and my girlfriend went to it. Unfortunately, Messi didn't get to come though. Uh, but, uh, the, the thought is every time they host one of those matches, um, they're they're getting a cut of the money. So I've attended, in addition uh, uh, to being an MPSL board meeting, I've attended an MSA board meeting, which is uh, they're all elected officials similar to the MPSL. Um, but they have over a $200,000 plus or uh, surplus in in their bank account, which um, me, and, me and Mehmed, when we went to the meeting, we were like, Wow. That's that's incredible. They have two hundred thousand dollars that is just kind of sitting in a bank account, and how that money gets spent is all of the all of the leagues have a vote for how the how the money gets uh, sent. And the last I guess two or three years, as it's been building up, building up, building up, the MUSL board votes one way, and how the money gets spent. The MPSL votes one way and how the money gets spent. Uh, we have another league where our women's team started before joining the MPSL women's. It's called the Great Lakes Women's League. Um, they have a vote on how it's spent. Um, there's an Ann Arbor-based league. They have a vote on how it's spent. And you go and you count the votes and all, all the teams across the state and how they want to spend it. And they've never been able to come to an agreement and how to use the money. So just the last couple of years, it's just kind of sat there and sat there and sat there. Um, I don't want to say they don't they don't do anything with it. Um, we were very blessed uh, when we did go to our nationals trip down to Florida. Um, the MPSL um, wrote us a check. The MSA wrote us a check. Um, the USASA region two wrote us a check, uh, just for going and traveling and representing all of those entities, um, down in Florida at nationals. Um, so we saw that and how they're able to help fund it. But I, I kind of think if, if you make it known and you, you make an announcement and you're, you're saying whoever wins, uh, the MPSL is, is going to win this prize money or they're going to go do this. I just think that just kind of adds interest to the sport and it kind of adds, um, you have a group of friends that, that plays soccer locally and you guys think you're, you're a good team. Okay, well let's go and prove it at, at the state level. And then if we can prove it at the state level, then let's go travel regionally and then let's go travel nationally and kind of see where we stand with it. I think that kind of that competitive energy kind of would uh, invoke a lot more teams to come around. So I, I think that's the thought process with it is yes, the money's there. How are we spending it? can we do this efficiently and can we get all of the, uh, the leagues teams organizations in Michigan all to work together and kind of agree and see how we can, we can use that money to help all of the clubs in the state the best. In terms of the MPSL uh, as a league, what is, what is the long-term goal for the, for the league? Is it to remain a, a um, you know, an elite level state geographically uh boundaried league or is it to become a league like you know the uh, gcpl uh and expand its footprint beyond the state of michigan are there any you know kind of conversations internally that you're able to talk about publicly uh in regards to the long-term ambitions and goals of the mpsl mm-hmm 
Well, it, we we got into, I guess, a bit of a debate this past year when I when I told you earlier in the conversation we had uh, a couple Toledo, some Northern Ohio teams that were interested in in joining, and it, it invoked a a discussion in in one of the board meetings of, well, what are we doing here? We're called the Michigan Premier Soccer League, and then we're going to start allowing Ohio teams into the league. Um, I, I'll tell you my vote personally. I, I voted yes to, to allow them in. I was like, yeah, if they're they're ambitious enough and they're willing to make the travel, I think that just kind of grows our footprint of the league. Um, some people felt that way. Some people felt the other way of we should just stick to what we're doing. Um, I kind of made the counterpoint to Toledo is, is closer in proximity to West Michigan. And uh, West, West Michigan... Um, uh, doesn't even have any teams in, in our league right now. It, it's called the MPSL, the Michigan Premier Soccer League, but I kind of just feel it's the Metro Detroit uh, area soccer league because we don't really have at this time any West Michigan teams in it. So um, I, I guess uh, that is, that is I guess, the million-dollar question is, as far as in the state is what are we trying to do here um, with them restructuring the sanctioning and not distinguishing the difference between um, a strong state level and a, and a weaker state level um, uh, league. Uh, all of the state level leagues right now are considered just USASA state leagues. Um, so I, I don't know necessarily that, that we've been further enough along in discussions uh, with the MPSL to necessarily think, hey, we're going to try and grow our footprint to become a, a regional league. I, I definitely think there's some of the old traditional clubs that do not want to make the travel to Ohio or Indiana or um, Chicago or, or go and do that. So I, I don't think there would be enough of, uh, I don't think the boats would be there as far as uh, amongst the league to, to ever grow the footprint outside of Michigan. Um, I think it, is a step. Um, but I think again, the, the first step for me and for some of us, uh, like-minded thinkers here in Michigan, it's how can we make a Michigan first league and, and grow that. And Hey, if you, you win the Michigan league for a year or two and the, and you're pretty dominant and, uh, the MSA is, uh, helping, uh, fund it because they're, uh, they're, they're paying the, the team that wins or the top two or top three teams that win every couple of years. You, you look, uh, after a couple of years of, of playing well in Michigan, uh, you are, uh, you got a healthy bank account. You're stable. You can make that commitment. Maybe because you you had a Livonia play against Lake St. Clair, and you have a little bit of a following um, in, in the state. Um, you, you get a little bit of fans at your match, and you're and you're able to make it sustainable before you make that leap up. Um, I think one other one other idea that I find uh, uh, necessary is the state organizations, the MSA, to come to a agreement or an understanding with those ambitious teams that want to travel regionally or nationally um, in a in a bigger league. I think what happens is, um, at least with MSA, the second that a team defines that it's leaving for the regional or the national league, they kind of feel um, uh, a bit disrespected or a bit um, annoyed with the fact that they're leaving the, the Michigan-based league 
as opposed to maybe getting that support from from those uh, from from that organization. I, I think it'd be something to be said if uh, the the NPSL or the UPSL or the Midwest Premier League that's coming to town, if any of those organizations took the extra step of vetting with the state organizations, um, I think that could help strengthen relationships across the board just because maybe the MSA is is able to, I, I know Detroit City doesn't need any extra funding, but maybe Detroit City is able to, or sorry, Grand Rapids or uh, Lansing or any of these teams are able to get additional state funding as they're traveling regionally or nationally. And um, it wouldn't be such a burden on the club necessarily because they're doing first, they're representing Michigan, second, they're representing their club, and um, they're able to do so because the, the league, the bigger entity, did the extra step of working with the state organizations. And I think that would be the next stage after uh, kind of sorting out the, the Michigan landscape is finding a regional league or a national league that wants to work with MSA and we're comfortable working with them. And then that's the, the type of league that we could try to, to, to work maybe a little bit of promotion relegation. We, we take the, uh, the top MSL, uh, MSL league um, and uh, t- take them and put them um, into a regional league. But that league has worked with uh, the state organizations in in the area and they're still kind of having that relationship and it doesn't get broken down at that time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that level of cooperation is where we have to go uh, to grow the game properly in this country. What you just described. Uh, I want to get back to something you said earlier in, uh, in our conversation when you were talking about specifically L- Livonia city FC, you, you said that last year in your fourth season, uh, you were able to achieve profit profitability. Um, where did you find, what were your revenue sources to, 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 uh, get to a place where you could, uh, achieve profitability. Mm-hmm. So, um, couple, couple different areas. Um, first, um, the players, the players for all of, um, the, the teams pay a amount of dues. Every, every player for the team, um, pays, uh, last year we did two twenty. Um, and they paid it to Livonia City FC, um, the nonprofit. Um, all of the money paid to us uh, is tax deductible. So when they pay us the $220, the, every member is able to write it off on their taxes. So that was our, that was our base. Um, we were able to get sponsors um, this year as well, which helped fund it. Um, we've done jersey sales. Our bigger matches, the U.S. Open Cup matches, um, we've been able to cover costs by um, selling tickets. Um, we we last year uh, got knocked out in the third round of the U.S. Open Cup qualifying by uh, St. Louis. We were able to have about 150, maybe 200 people at the match. We did $5 ticket admission. That was the, uh, I think, second time we ever sold tickets to the match. Um, we did, uh, we had these really radical, uh, pink jerseys and, uh, they were kind of, uh, 
they kind of had a little bit of a cult following, um, at least locally. Um, and, uh, everybody was, uh, kind of getting those. So we, we sold maybe, I think 50 to 60 of those like resale to, uh, a bunch of just people that reached out to us and thought the Jersey looked cool. Um, definitely. I think, um, the, the club dues are something that is a, it's a, for us, it was a necessary thing. Um, but it's something that we're looking if we, if we ever did make that leap of doing a, a semi pro team at the next level, I think it's something that would need to be eliminated because you are, uh, you, you're, you're forced kind of to make talent based decisions. Um, we've had great success with guys buying into it. Um, as, I, I think as long as you're straightforward with, we use this money for, um, we use this money for field rental. We use this money for refs. This is what we're doing. This is what we're saving. Um, we, all of our, uh, all of our members, uh, of, uh, Livonia city kind of get these updated. This is what we're doing. This is where we're at. This is what, where we want to go. Um, so it's kind of like they've all just kind of bought into the club. Um, and keep in mind too, we have, four men's teams and over 30 team and two women's teams. When you have that many teams and uh, they're paying dues, um, you, you're going to start to slowly generate a little bit of income. I think after uh, we are ready and we make that step of having a, the semi pro team, uh, we wouldn't plan to charge the, the semi pro team players, anyone on that roster, we wouldn't charge them dues. So we would still have our adult program that would uh, still be paying dues that would be a kind of a feeder to it. And then the, the ones that are extremely ambitious with it and want to make that next step in their playing careers and want to uh, travel every weekend and do all those things, those, those players and um, those uh, that, that team or that um, we'd like to have a men's and a women's both. Um, those two teams would, uh, be able to, I guess, operate more, more along the lines of a, like a semi-pro organization. Um, but it, it, I think, uh, early on, uh, sustainability was always number one for us. Um, we, me and, uh, the vice president threw some money early on into it, but we realized at some point it wasn't going to be sustainable until we kind of figured out a business model that, uh, worked for us. So for us, it was charging a little bit um, at the at the start of the year, um, and we are pretty upfront about it. Um, hey guys, um, there are definitely some teams in the MPSL or um, in others that you could go and play for free. This is what Livonia City is about. This is what we do. This is where we've been. This is where we want to go. And we are always pleasantly surprised every year when a, a player will choose to come to Livonia City um, and pay to play a, as opposed to going to one of the teams for free because we have a vision with it and where we want to take it. Um, so I, I, I kind of look at it and so do a couple of the other guys on the board is they're all investing in the club and they're all buying into it. Um, a lot of the guys on the second and third team or the fourth team, they will come and watch the first team play and they're, they're very supportive of it. That's how we got the 200 plus people to, uh, 
to one of our U.S. Open Cup matches. So I, I think everyone's kind of, um, as our first team has continued to grow on the field and some of the guys uh, fall behind in playing and they're on the second and they're, they're on the third team and guys get jobs and they move out of the state and they still follow up on the club. Um, I, I think um, that's kind of how our following is growing that way is uh, the, the guys played at the high level with the, with the first team, then they've fallen behind. And then I, I kind of equate that to how uh, Christos operates is they're, they've just done it a lot longer than us is they, uh, they, they had their, their first team that started it. They all since graduated the over, over 30 and over 40. And then the next generation came in, but yet they still have that over 30 and that over 40 group that um, is kind of supporting them and kind of running it. So I think we're just, many years behind them but hopefully we're along we're along those uh we're going around along the right path well um where can people uh find some more information about your project in terms of the letter as well as you specifically with livonia city fc maybe they want to reach out get some information you know pick your brain get some ideas how can they connect with you online uh social media whatever Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you can follow us at Livonia City FC on Twitter, um, or you can reach out to us at LivoniaCityFC at gmail.com. Um, we set up an email for uh, the Michigan Soccer League, uh, Michigan Soccer League at gmail.com. If you are uh, more interested in the project at hand, um, feel free to reach out to us uh, through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We have all, all the following for Livonia City. Um, yeah, we're, we're always listening to new ideas. We're always looking for more. Uh, I always say we're looking for great people, not just great um, soccer players uh, to be a part of the club. And every couple of years we have uh, someone come along that wants to, to work with us and uh, kind of help build it and bring a new idea to it. So we're always looking for new ideas. Well, Craig, thanks for joining the show. We look forward to having you back on again soon to talk uh, some more of this. It was uh, it's really fascinating. Best of luck to you, and uh, and hopefully others will uh, will come together and, and find a, a path forward together. Because uh, I think that that in the long run is the is the best thing for Michigan soccer. It's the best thing for American soccer, quite frankly. So, uh, uh, good luck, good luck with all the the, the work and the efforts. Uh, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. That is Craig Beebe. He is with Livonia City FC and the MPSL. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens.
Thanks for watching today. Thanks for tuning in. As always, um, getting back to what we were talking about at the very top of the show, the, the U.S. men's national team is going nowhere fast. And uh, for anyone saying that uh, the U.S. is in crisis following this defeat, they were in crisis long before this. This is this is one of those iceberg moments. Uh, you might see the little tip of the iceberg at the top of the water, but there's been trouble here for a long, long time. And Burhalter giving this spin afterwards that the U.S. men's national team just simply lacked desire. Yeah, that was that was uh, one thing they lacked amongst many other things, including any sense of a plan, a tactic, etc., uh, to be successful. And, and that is all on the coach, period. Plain and simple. And those who are making the decisions on who is the coach of the national team. We have to be better. We could be better. We should be better. And it's time for the Federation to take it seriously and do something about it. Thanks for watching today. You can always watch on Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at DanielWorkman.com. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.